You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Hello and welcome here to Grace. Again, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. I also want to worship, uh, welcome those that are worshiping with us online. We are glad that you're with us as well. We're about to kick off this new series called Two Masters. And maybe even right now, you're thinking, okay, what exactly does that mean? And so to introduce this topic, and I believe this series, I have a little story to tell you. So I have three kids, Emerson, Ellie, and Everett. And Everett is our youngest child. He is almost two years old. And he's that child that is just, he's honoring every way, shape, or form. Okay, you know the book, I Love You Forever, I Like You For Always, that kid like flushes things down the toilet? That is my child. He drinks toilet water. He, uh, the other day he was sitting at um, the dinner table and he had this thing of goldfish in one hand and yogurt in the other. And he decided to pour both of them on his head. He is that child. Don't laugh. You wouldn't like it if it happened to you. So anyway, the other day we were sitting and hanging out in the living room, and I'm trying to disciple him, my two-year-old, by watching Kansas basketball. And so we're watching it, and he goes in the other room, into the dining room area, and there's our kitchen table. And I'm like, Everett, you know you're not supposed to go to the table when we're not with you, you're not in your chair. And he just looks at me, this blue eyes, he's our only thumb sucker. And he just, when he wants to give you this cute look, he just puts his thumb in his mouth and just kind of looks at you. And I say, "Uh uh-uh. And he looks at me and he goes, "Uh uh-huh. And so then he makes his way and he gets on to the table on his bottom, which is fine. That's okay. But I'm like, hey, let's get down now. He looks at me and he goes, "Uh uh-uh. And he stands up on the chair. At that point, I'm trying to watch the game, but I'm also trying to reprimand my son. So Everett then stands up and just puts his finger right in his mouth, his thumb, and looks at me and smiles. I'm like, okay, at this point, I'm going to hurt you, child. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. Now get down. Now, Everett Charles Fetters, you get off that table or off that chair. And then guess what he does? He starts to get on the table. And he stands up on the table. No joke. This is not exaggeration because I can exaggerate sometimes. He looks at me and goes like this. I'm like, I go over there and I get him off the table and we have a little conversation. I say, do not ever do that again. But at that moment, I thought about my relationship with the Lord. How often do we get on the table, we're looking at God and say, no, we're going to do it my way. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want, regardless of the outcome. And I would bet it's safe to say that a lot of us live our life like that sometimes. That even though God has a perfect plan, I didn't want him on that table because it's not safe. It's not in his best interest. It's walking in disobedience. But I bet it's safe to say that most of us throughout times in our lives are like my son in that moment. But God wants us to walk in obedience, in life, in victory, in joy, in complete obedience. 
My question is, where are you today? Who is the master of your life? Because in that moment, Everett was his own master. In my heart and our prayers, we kick off this series is, who is the master of your life? We're going to be looking at money, specifically. The concept of money. And even when I say the word money, maybe there are several things that come to mind and come to your heart. Maybe it makes you anxious. Maybe it makes you depressed. Maybe the concept of money just means, hey, i got to work harder. I need more of it. I need to save more. I want to buy more things. Maybe some of you are like, oh, I have kids that are growing up, and I'm going to have to pay for college. How am I going to do that? I was discipling my other son while watching KU basketball, and we were hanging out, and he looked at me really serious. He goes, Dad, would you be okay if I don't play basketball at KU? I, in my mind, I'm like, he's probably not going to play basketball at KU anyway. He's a short little dude. He goes, I say, yeah, why? Why do you say that? Whatever you want. He goes, because I want to go to MIT. I'm like, what seven-year-old? I, I didn't even know what MIT stands for, to be honest with you. I had to Google it. I said, what seven-year-old wants to go to MIT? He goes, because I want to create a suit like Iron Man, and I want to make lots of money like Tony Stark. I'm like, a seven-year-old. And then he goes, he doesn't stop there. He goes, and when I turn 10, I'm going to start mowing yards. And if I mow five yards a week, and I charge $50, that'd be a big yard. I'm like, okay, you can make me. I'll retire early. I'm like, even a seven-year-old is beginning to understand the concept of money. I mean, it's all around us. Commercials, billboards, there's ads that say, hey, work from home, sit on your couch, make $15,000 a month, whatever it is. Money is all around us. And see, the reality is money is a part of our everyday life. And money can be a great thing. It actually can be a tool for the kingdom of God to proclaim his name and to glorify him, but it can also be a distraction. And so what does Jesus say about money? This is what he says. Look here. For Matthew chapter 6 says, No one can serve two masters. No one. So if you think right now that you can serve two masters, what Jesus is saying is it is impossible. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. Who are you loyal to right now? Who is it you're serving? You cannot serve God and mammon. Other translations would say you cannot serve God and money. So maybe you're even here right now. Here we go in church. Another message about money. I've heard this before. Or someone else is telling me I should do our money. You know what, I'm not even tell you today how you should spend your money. What I want to do is look at our hearts and explore what master we're serving. Let's pray. God, I pray that we'll just look at your word. God, that we'll take an honest assessment. We'll audit our lives and our hearts and say, God, speak to me. Lord, no matter where people come from, no matter what's going on, Lord, that they'll take a moment to reflect on your goodness, reflect on your word, 
and leave here with a greater sense of purpose, a greater sense of calling, a greater sense of understanding who it is they should be serving. God, help me. Convict me. Give me the words to say as we approach this topic in this series. In your name we pray. Amen. So again, what is money? You know, we use money every day. We use it to buy things. We use it to invest. We use it to show our power. A lot of places in the world, money and how much money you have can show how much power you have. Money can also be an idol. Money can also be a way to glorify God. Again, money is involved in our everyday life. If you go to the Word of God and you look throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, you know there's over 800 passages and areas in God's Word that deal with the concept of money, tithing, investing, debt. 800 different places in Scripture. And check this out. In the New Testament, the Gospel specifically, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus speaks to us. And over 25% of the words that Jesus speaks to us deals with the concept of money and stewardship. So not only is money a big deal in society, in our everyday, money is a big part and is important to God and His Word. So what motivates you when it comes to money? I was looking at this topic and processing. It's like, Lord, how, what do you have for me to learn? And I began to look at the motivation of my heart. Because I believe that what motivates you will master you. Let me say it again. What motivates you will master you. And so I want to look at this passage here in 1 Timothy. So let's check this out. 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can go there or it'll be on our screen. It says, now godliness also known as holiness, to be set apart, to be like God, to be shaped in his image. With contentment is great gain. Now I want to pause on the word contentment. If you go to the original language, the word contentment means this, unshakable or unflappable regardless of circumstance. Let me say that again. The word contentment means to be unshakable or unflappable regardless of what's going on in your life right now. Are you content in where God has you? Are you content with what you have? Are you content and unshakable and unflappable no matter how much you have in the bank or don't have? He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, just food and clothing, with these things, we shall be content. There's a word content again. A word that we really don't use that often in our lives, our vocabulary, because it really doesn't fit with our culture. And in our culture specifically, Western culture, even more so Southern Johnson County, we don't like to be content because we want the next thing. So let's read about that here. Let's read on. But those who desire to be rich. The word desire here is important. If you look at the literal translation, the original text, it means that this desire means is you're only happy or you're trying to pursue happiness with more material things. With more money, with more stuff. 
This is what you think is going to make you happy. So those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Let's read on. It says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So in this text, we have two sides of the coin, so to speak. We have contentment, and we have a desire to be rich. And I want to ask, what is the motivation of our hearts? Why do we do what we do? Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you go to work? Why do you take the job, the promotion, Why do you wear the clothes that you wear? Why do you drive the car that you drive? What is your motivation on a daily basis? Why do you do what you do? Because what motivates you will master you. I want to look at two kinds of motivation. I want to look at the world's motivation, and I want to look at kingdom motivation. So first, let's look at the world's motivation. And the first is people's perception. Oftentimes, I believe that we are motivated by what people think of us. It's the comparison game. I was in my grace group hanging out with some guys this past week on Monday night, late in the evening, had a great time. And I asked the group, what motivates you? And I asked my friend if I could share this story. And one of the guys said, you know, oftentimes I'll get on Facebook or I'll get on Instagram and I'll look at other people that graduated the same year that I graduated. And I'll compare if my life is as successful as theirs. And if I have accomplished as much, or they're as successful as I am. And the reality is a lot of us are motivated by what people think of us. But the problem with that is comparison is toxic for our soul. And if we're motivated by this, we will never have enough. We will always be tired, we'll be exhausted. So not only are we motivated by what people think of us, people's perception, we're also motivated by our personal pride. Meaning that I did it. That I overcame, that I worked harder than this person, that it's because I am an intellectual or I am a hard worker, I'm smart enough, I'm talented enough, I went to the right university. This is what makes me successful. We're motivated by that. I know in my life I can be prideful. And I have to say, Lord, check the motivation of my heart. What motivates you? Not only people's perception that motivates us, our personal pride, but also our personal pleasures. We like our stuff. We like our shoes. We like our new clothes. We like our new cars. We like our houses. I mean, I remember I was on Saturday, no, Friday evening, I was driving around. Right? I knew I'm talking on being content and serving my master. And I know that I was going to talk about comparing and stuff. And I go by this house in our neighborhood. And it's a cool house because if you pop open his garage, it's like perfectly organized. And he has this golf cart, which we don't have a golf course in our neighborhood. So I don't know. They, I don't know. They drive golf carts to the pool, whatever. And, um, and my wife, one day, she goes to the pool and we have a radio flyer wagon. And there's like six golf carts. And we have our radio flyer wagon. She took a picture. She said, babe, this is how I roll. I was like, yes, you do. And it's going to stay that way. Anyway, but I went by it. And there's this 
golf cart. It's like raised with big tires, has subwoofer. He had like huge flat screen in his, I don't know why you need a flat screen in your garage, but he does. It's huge. I was like, that is awesome. I want that. That's cool stuff. All joking aside, though, we are motivated by our things. We are motivated by our pleasures. Also, vacations. I mean, there are people that work all year long. They store up their money just so they can go on a cool vacation. I laugh. A lot of people work all year long, and the one week or two weeks of vacation, they'll go to Disney World and wait in lines. That makes no sense to me. What motivates you? Now, I want to look here for a moment at the other side, which I would call kingdom motivation or Christ-centered motivation. So you're saying, okay, what is the kingdom of God? My goal is not to split, spit platitudes at you or kind of christian so to speak, but I think for us to understand the motivation of our heart, we need to understand what the kingdom of God is. And this is what the kingdom of God is. It is God's people living in God's place under God's rule. So God's people, what does that mean? This means the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints. It means those who have a relationship with Jesus. Your stuff doesn't make a way to heaven your works does not make a way to heaven. How much money you give, how much time you serve. Jesus is the only way. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Also says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It also says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the only way. If you confess in your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you raise his son from the dead that Jesus rose from the grave, you will be saved. And if you have this relationship with Jesus, you are part of the kingdom of God. The church is part of the kingdom of God. Does the kingdom of God motivate you? Not only is it God's people, so if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're part of the kingdom, it's living in God's place. Ultimately, God's place will be heaven for all eternity, worshiping the Lord. Now, we are not there yet. So what does that mean for us? It means that, yes, the Lord is on his throne in heaven, but he gave us his spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit to walk, to empower, to give us victory, to convict us, to empower us. God's place under God's rule. Meaning God is on his throne. He's in complete control. Does this kingdom motivate you? Because if we look at the fact that God saved us, there is a heavenly home. But until then, we can walk in victory. And God is in complete control of everything. If we truly can live in that place, our motivations will change. When we realize that God saved a sinner like me. When God saved your soul. When he broke the bondage of sin and death and hell. That you can live. You can't help but share. You can't help but be motivated by the kingdom of God. What motivates you? The world or the kingdom? Because I believe what motivates you 
will master you. So what does it mean to be mastered by something? Remember my son was on that table and I was trying to master him, say, you better get off that table. And he was walking in disobedience. So what happens when we allow money to master us? Remember we said in Matthew chapter 6, you cannot serve two masters. So what happens? What does our life look like when money is mastering us? I think for us to understand this fully, let's talk about the definition of the word master. Master is a person who has people working for him, especially servants or slaves. So my question is, are you a slave and a servant to money? Because when the world and money specifically is our master, you will never have enough. You will live in the constant state of exhaustion. I want us to look again at 1 Timothy chapter 6. It will be here for you as well. It's with those who desire to be rich. Those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation and a snare and a many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction. I want us to look at this word drown. Think about the concept of drowning. How scary, how fearful it would be. I swim in the ocean. I close my eyes. I'm like, I don't want to know what's out there. And I imagine if I was out there and trying to tread water with sharks and jellyfish and crazy eels and stuff that could swallow you in a second. Or I've also swam in the Amazon. That's even scarier than the ocean, knowing that there's piranhas everywhere. Or even in a pool, if you just like imagine treading water and you get a cramp and you begin to drown and what it's like to try to get breath. And there are many of you right now that you're just trying to get breath, get a, catch a breath and say, Lord, I'm tired of this. I'm constantly exhausted. I cannot go anymore. But the problem is when we serve money and that becomes our master, that's what it's like in our lives. We are drowning. We are tired. Maybe some of you are drowning in debt. And that is not a fun place to be. And we as a church want to come alongside of you and we want to help you. In a couple weeks, we're going to be launching a series called Financial Peace University. And this is a great resource. This great study will be a great resource for you as it helps you get out of serving money as your master and serving the Lord and finding freedom and victory. See, when we serve money, it is a tiring place to be. I mean, I look all over the news. You know, think of people who won the lottery, how they have nothing now. You see all these famous people that have so much dis- depression and despair, discontentment. It's a tiring place to live. It's also a fearful place to live. So I want to ask you a series of questions. And I want you to take an honest assessment of your life. Because maybe you're in here and you're like, I don't know if money is my master or the kingdom is my master. So I want to ask some questions. And maybe this will help you figure out who's your master. One is this. Your mood or your joy rises and falls with the stock market. Your mood 
rises and falls with how much is in your bank account. Another question would be, you take promotions with no regard to those who are close to you. That you get a new job and you don't care how it affects your family because you need that money. Again, money is not a bad thing in itself, but if it masters us, money can be an incredible thing. God can use it in powerful ways. But when it masters us, it's a terrible place to be. Another one is you're constantly comparing what you have to others. Do you compare what you have to others and your house? Or maybe you don't even bring people in your house because you don't think it's nice as someone else's house. They keep up with the Joneses mentality. Another way is you're more concerned about your job security than you are kingdom living. Remember the kingdom of God is God's people living in God's place under his rule, meaning he's on the throne of your life, but you care more about your job security than you do kingdom living. I'm sure there's a lot more questions you could ask yourself, and my heart is not to, to attack anyone. My heart is to say, God wants to meet you there, and he wants to be the master of your life because he wants to bring you joy. Again, I go to my son. Are we standing on that table with our thumb in our mouth and saying, God, I'm going to do it my way, how I want, when I want. I'm going to be the master of my life. Or are we saying, Lord, I'm going to walk in obedience? Because what happens when the kingdom of God motivates us? I believe there's a life of contentment in the master. Could you imagine living in such a way that you're unshakable and you're unflappable regardless of what's going on around you? Could you imagine walking in this victory? Could you imagine walking in this power? Because when we get to biblical, Christ-centered, kingdom contentment, this is where we can live. Because this spirit will empower you. True contentment, see, comes from godliness, from holiness, in our heart, not wealth in our hand. I love the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4. He says, I've learned to be content no matter what the circumstance. And he writes this from jail. He says, I'm content. I'm unshakable. I'm unflappable. Because Christ is the center of my life. And when it comes to serving two masters, we have to decide, are we going to walk in peaceful contentment? Or with finances and money and the world motivating us? Not only will we have peaceful contentment, I believe that we will live and walk with a greater sense of daily purpose. What a shallow place it is to live when all we're going is at how big our bank account. Because as we saw in First Timothy, says, you came in this world with nothing and you're going to leave with nothing. There's a day that our life will be over here on earth. And everything we work so hard for will not go with us. Cannot take it with us. And what if we live with a greater sense of purpose? that is so much bigger than ourselves. It's so much bigger than what we have or the latest trend. It's so much bigger than the thing we drive. It's so much bigger than the college our kids can go to. It's the kingdom. 
And this was really convicting as I studied this. And it really made me check my heart and say, what motivates me to do what I do? I want to read a story. It's from a friend of mine. He's gone to Grace here almost five years now. And God has really worked on his life. And he was really motivated, quite candidly, by the world a couple years ago. And he wanted the church to hear his story. And this is what he says. I spent most of my life chasing success. Success to me was an image. My house needed to be large enough to create envy in its visitors. My cars needed to be new enough to excite a stranger. My career success needed to seem unattainable and uniquely mine. The irony is, during the stage of life, my home was never big enough. It was 6,000 square feet, and I was online every day looking for the next home. My cars aged every day, and I was a slave to washing them, and a scratch would make me look online for a new one. My career felt like a prison to maintain the success. But a few years ago, I found out my home that I worked so hard for, that I put all my passion, I started this business, became very wealthy. It was infested with mold, over $400,000 worth of damage. No coverage in my insurance. My unattainable, uniquely mined success didn't have enough power to protect my cherished possessions. I was destroyed. I prayed to God to protect my finances. I asked the church to pray for my finances. And God answered this by changing the motivation of my heart. See, the day I prayed to God to protect my finances, he answered by prompting me to tithe at the biblical amount. I didn't feel I had the money, but this time I was obedient. Pause there for a moment. See, so often we think we don't have money to be obedient. And we, when we become like my son standing on that table, we are saying that we believe that we know a better way than God. We're saying that we have it more together than God. We are saying that we are choosing to walk in disobedience. He said, but my value of possessions and authority rooted in money was stripping me of the real success and joy that I could live. Beginning to give and allowing Christ to be the master has been a true act of worship to God, and I am proud of it. It's released me from bondage, and I didn't even know I was bound to. Everything I have is God's, and I can say now that God is everything to me. Today I live in a beautiful new home. The crazy part, we overlooked it in our original search because it was not big or stately enough. The home is smaller than my last home, but I've had more guests in my home than any other home I have ever owned. This home fulfills every need of my growing family, and I am more, con- I am more than content. I am blessed. Today, the time I used to spend agonizing and comparing over the next cell or to fill my life style with more stuff has ceased. The time I used to spend shopping for the next home or additional renovation has ceased. The pain I used to feel over scratch or spilled milk in a car has died. Frankly, I'm shocked. I could not see how these activities were robbing me of God's joy in my life. 
we can only serve two masters. Excuse me, we can't serve two masters. We can only serve one. And the question is, what master are we serving? Who is the master of your life? Let's pray. God, love you. God, we just come to you. Lord, I come to you convicted of the areas in which I try to master my life. I come to you convicted of thinking that my way is better. And Lord, I just want to give you my heart because I believe if you have my heart, I serve you and you're the master of my life. Everything will be the way it needs to be. God, I want you to be my master. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.